0: Welcome back to Missing. I am Tim, here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I'm doing great today,
1: Tim. It is the second Tuesday in November, so you know what that means. Uh, Before we get into that, I hope all the listeners are doing very well, and I hope you had a wonderful weekend. How are you today on this Tuesday, November 8th?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm doing great. I rocked the vote. There you go. So there you go. And I'm excited about this conversation, Lance, that we recorded with a true true crime rock star, a real hero. This is Kristen Middleman that we're speaking to today. She works with Othram Labs and DNA Solves, and she's also the wife of David Middleman, who we have had on this show in the past.
1: And really, on a daily basis, we are now hearing Othram solving cases, cold cases, missing person cases, bodies that have no identity. They're giving the names to these Individuals and they're giving some sort of closure and some sort of justice to the families. Even as we were having this conversation, we made a joke about how it needed to be postponed because they had three solves that they needed to take care of on the day that we had originally scheduled this. So we have this conversation, and then literally, like, the next day, they they came out with the Lady of the Dunes identity. So she knew. And watching this back, (laughs) listening to her again, you can hear it in her voice. She had something that she just wasn't going to drop on us, and they dropped it, like, the next day, but... All joking aside, Lady of the Dunes was solved by Othram, Little Miss Nobody was solved by Othram, and a number of other cases. And this conversation is incredible. Kristen is ridiculously articulate, ridiculously informative. If you have any questions about Othram, I would be really surprised if you left this conversation with unanswered questions. She is officially the chief development officer of Othram. She started in 2021, and she works on so many facets of the company, from funding to educating to providing public relations. I mean, she really is a multifaceted member of the Authorum team.
0: Yeah, it's an impressive team over there, Lance, in Austin, Texas at Authorum Labs. And check out all that they're doing at dnasolves.com. They literally have a page of all the cases that they've solved, and it is just impressive to say the least. And by the time you're done listening to this episode, if you refresh that solve page on dnasolves.com, you'll see that they've solved probably 100 more cases and uh, I'm being a little sarcastic, but uh, it's just, they're so impressive that uh, that that's a joke that we can make over here that uh, makes sense.
1: Yeah, she said she wanted to live in a world where they have more than a solve a day. Like, it comes down to like a solve an hour at some point. And I did mention the Lady of the Dunes and Little Miss Nobody previously. I and mean, I just wanted to make sure that we have those names that are connected now to these individuals because of Othram. The Lady of the Dunes is Ruth Marie Terry and Little Miss Nobody, so wonderfully put by... Kristen Little Miss Nobody No More. Her name is Sharon Lee Gallegos.
0: And we spoke about Sharon Lee Gallegos a couple of weeks ago on the Missing podcast and we actually used a little bit of a clip from Kristen from this very conversation at the end of that to explain how Othram helped make that match of the Jane Doe formerly known as Little Miss Nobody and Sharon Lee Gallegos. All right, everybody, I hope you enjoy this. Please follow us on social media at MissingCSM. Thank you. Welcome to the podcast, Kristen Middleman of Othram Labs. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having
2: me.
1: First of all, you're in a gorgeous situation right here visually. It looks beautiful where you're at. This doesn't look like the old facility.
2: It's not. This is Othram 2.0, we call it. We moved here in January of this year. It really is one of the most beautiful buildings. I'm on the second floor, actually, and we still have this very, very big patio area where everyone goes for lunch and sits outside and gets to take some phone calls. The weather is gorgeous. We're between all these trees and the woodlands, and we're 15 minutes from the international airport, so we purpose-built here. It's one of the largest airports in the U.S. It's in the center of the U.S., and so we can get evidence from everywhere within a matter of a few hours. That's why David picked the woodlands, but it's it's really a beautiful location, and We're really lucky to be here.
1: Another reason why I love Othram is that nothing is arbitrary.
2: No, (laughs) nothing at all is arbitrary here. It really was a mission from the very beginning. David really thought he could disrupt how the forensic science system was working in the past or wasn't working to solve all of these cold cases or unidentified remain cases. He truly believed that the technology that he was bringing was going to be unique and it was going to be able to take the most intractable evidence out there and make it tractable. Something we say here at Othram often is it's not justice unless it can be justice for everyone and it can be applied to every case. And so we work every single day to try to make our technology encompass every type of evidence, whether it's burnt remains or chemically treated remains. Remains that are so contaminated because they were in sewage tanks for decades, bottom of lakes, really, really old cases. We identified a murder victim from 1881. So as long as your case is after 1881, I think we've shown that it's possible. We've been able to work with trace amounts of DNA since you last talked to David. I think we hold the record for identifying a perpetrator from a sex assault homicide. It was a 14 year old girl that was walking to school in Las Vegas and she was brutally attacked, raped and murdered in broad daylight. And uh, her family got a phone call from the school saying that she wasn't attending. They went looking for her and someone ended up finding the body on the way to school. What was left from the DNA evidence was 0.12 nanograms of DNA. If I touch my hand, I've left about 100 cells of DNA right now. It was the equivalent of 15 human cells from a 32-year-old sex assault homicide. It was a mixture of perpetrator and victim, and we were able to identify that perpetrator. And then when CODIS confirmed our identity, he linked to yet another murder and rape that he had um, committed three years prior. And so the power of this technology now is infinitely Better than it was a year and a half ago. I mean, I can sit here for hours and tell you story after story about how it's been able to do things that were thought to be completely impossible in the past, and they're not anymore. And what's more amazing is the way that we've built it here at Authram. It's not a science fair project. We're not guessing. We're not hoping it works. In fact, we never, ever, ever consume evidence or budgets from law enforcement unless we know we can build one of these profiles and bring some help to the investigation. We've created a QC process since you last spoke to David, where we've taken thousands of truth sets. We've touched more evidence than anyone else on earth using this type of DNA testing. And so each time we run a case, It becomes a truth set. We run it from beginning to end, and we can see exactly how we built that profile, how every part of the process worked, how well it worked in the genealogical databases, and then we learn to do better. And so now we have these truth sets. And when we get a piece of evidence, we do this, it's almost like a car inspection, but on the DNA. So you do, you get all these different measurements, which we call QC, and it lets us know whether or not we can actually build one of these profiles. If it's something we've never done before and we don't think we can do it, we halt. And then we go into R&D and we work with non-forensic evidence to try to recreate that process. For example, very early on, we realized that a lot of the DNA evidence that we were getting was fixed with formaldehyde. Formaldehyde is something that cross-links DNA. So when you get that kind of DNA, it's very hard to Break it apart and not damage it so that you can read it. We were not sure that we could do that. So we did a lot of R&D. We were able to go back and start working all of those cases. And I think the first one that announced was the Walker County Jane Doe case that we were able to identify from FFPE, formaldehyde fixed block.
1: I, I just earned a degree in something. (laughs) <laughs> by listening to
0: you.
2: Kristen, what is your role at Authram? So I'm the chief development officer here. I came in after David demonstrated and the team demonstrated that this works, that it works well, and that the biggest problem that we were sort of hitting every single time was there was no funding for the cases. Most of the funding that's out there for DNA testing is is geared towards legacy technology, CODIS testing. And I don't know if you guys know what that is, but I'll let you know real quickly, CODIS testing is the standard forensic testing used in the U.S. today. It looks at 20 markers in your genome and it compares that profile with all the profiles in the CODIS database. The CODIS database is built mostly of known perpetrators. When you have a direct match, that identity is confirmed. So CODIS was meant meant to confirm identity. What we do is very, very different. When CODIS testing fails, for example, you put in that DNA profile and you get nothing. You don't have a hit in CODIS. It becomes a DNA dead end and the cases used to be just stuck there. What we do here at Othram is we take that DNA and we build a profile that has hundreds and hundreds of thousands of markers using a forensic grade genome sequencing. Then we upload that profile into a genealogical database consented for law enforcement use. And we're able to catch relationships that are super distant like a fourth cousin, a third cousin, a fifth cousin. And all of these different matches allow you to be able to figure out where that person fits on a family tree and where they belong. And then we take that information, return it back to the investigators as an investigative lead, and then they contextualize it to their investigation. For example, if you give them a list of three brothers that could potentially be the person, then they look and see who was in the area at the time, who possibly owned the murder weapon, et cetera, et cetera. Or if it's an unidentified remains person, they would talk to the family and see if someone's missing when they went missing and see if it makes sense. And then they do the confirmatory DNA test to make sure that our result was correct. What's so amazing about our DNA testing is that it's super complementary to CODIS. Everyone's heard about, you know, clearing the backlog of sex assault kits and clearing the backlogs of homicide and cold cases and unidentified remains. Millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars have been spent on these initiatives over the last few years. But a lot of the times it doesn't lead to an answer especially with unidentified remains. You can imagine these victims are not in the known perpetrator database. And so how do you find them? And so our technology comes in, it helps you get that lead, and then it's confirmed with the original CODIS test. So it actually, that CODIS test, continues to gain value as it actually helps solve the case and take it to court. Is there a different
1: approach when you are looking into a case or a cold case that is a missing person with no body, as opposed to one that is like a homicide victim?
2: So we can't be part of the investigation until there's DNA evidence. And so we wait until they find unidentified remains. But there are several tools that David and, and other people on the computational side of Authram are working on that will make it better and easier for missing person records to match these unidentified remain records. You can imagine, as things start to get more and more cataloged, for all of this time, the National uh, Missing and Unidentified Persons Database is a place where people listed all of the missing people that they had reported and then all of these unidentified remains. People weren't really working through each one of those cases and getting a result. For the first time ever. We're partnered with Namus and we're helping to clear that backlog of unidentified remain cases. As that happens, what we're seeing more and more of is more people are listing their cases onto Namus because now there's hope there's a program that will actually take that case off of just a list of cases and help you solve your case. And so as more of those cases get listed, as people report more people missing, as more tools are developed to match those two records, I think a lot of them will solve without needing our sort of advanced, super advanced DNA testing technologies. You can just do those one-to-one matches and make sure that it works. But we're here for all the cases where it's really difficult to figure out who those remains belong to. There are so many cases where remains were found across the country in a completely different area and a completely different time frame. Anthropology is, is sometimes very difficult to assess what someone might have looked like if you only have a fracture of their skull or a very small piece. It's so complicated that often you can't match that unidentified remain body that was found to a missing person record. And that's when we come in. We come in and we help get that identity for that unidentified person. And honestly, that begins the investigation for law enforcement. How can you possibly look into a crime or figure out what happened to someone, whether it was even a crime or not, if you have no idea who that person is, if you don't have a name or any kind of context? Usually, When we're able to come up with the identity of someone, they can go back, talk to family, talk to friends, and repeat the last few weeks of their lives. And more often than not, they're able to identify what happened to them. That's amazing. You mentioned NamUs. Is this a new partnership between Othram and NamUs? Yes, so we've been working with NAMIS for quite some time now. I think about a month ago, we announced publicly that this is going to be a new initiative to not only work on these cases and help clear the backlog, which we've been doing for some time, but truly develop tools that will help this technology reach even more people, would help this technology be even more efficient and better. And we're really, really thrilled about that partnership. Um, the people at NAMIS and RTI are so passionate about naming all of these people and connecting them back to family no one should have to wait decades to find out where their loved one is we had a case that is announcing actually tomorrow and you know we actually got to speak to the brother of the person we found he knew his brother was was dead his brother was murdered and they actually caught the perpetrator it was someone that he had picked up hitchhiking he was devastated because he knew his brother was dead. They knew who did it. The perpetrator would never let them know where that body was or admit to it. And so he could never bury his brother. He could never go visit him. And now, now they can right now they have him home and and he's connected back to family and his story can be told. And there is no more uncertainty as to what happened. And that's that I think is necessary for for everyone that loses someone. For us, it seems like we're solving a case and it's a really cool story to tell. But the truth is when you meet any of these family members and everyone here at Othram has met at least a few, you realize this isn't just a story. This is someone's life. When they lose somebody, their life stops right there. They become completely involved in trying to figure out the answers. What happened? Where are they? Who did this? Without being able to, to get that identity with DNA, you can't even start. What do you do? You wait for someone to come forward and say, I saw someone do this to your relative. I mean, there's just really nowhere to go. And so when, when that body is finally identified and pieced back to family Law enforcement starts that investigation that can truly bring answers and justice back to the family.
1: Is that something that you instill in all of the team members at Othram? Is that like the first thing that you tell them when they ask, why are we doing this?
2: We have one first principle at Othram, and it's do what's best for the case every single time whether that means the cases worked at Othram, not worked at Othram, whether it means that it holds and we tell law enforcement that we don't have the technology right now today, whether it means that we help find funding for testing these cases. It doesn't matter what it is, but we do what's best for the case. And I have to tell you that I've never worked at a place that has more passionate people. I think anyone at Othram will let you know that there's a culture here that is unmatched. Everyone's working 110% all the time. No one feels like this is a job. Maybe it's because we have met all these family members. Maybe it is because we truly have seen the difference that this technology can can bring to so many people and the impact, the ripple effects that it has in each case. It's not even just the parents or the family that needs to know the answer. It's siblings, it's friends, it's law enforcement investigators that worked this case for, you know, 50 years and have had it in the back of their mind every day. It's communities that have band together to sort of figure out who this child is or who this person is. The Little Miss Nobody case. I mean, sh- the whole community was involved in trying to maintain her grave, figure out who she was, what had happened, being able to to answer these questions, it, it's truly life-changing. I also think that most of us here have a why. There's a reason why we, we do what we do. We were touched by either crime or losing someone or something somewhere along the way. I feel that that helps us have a mentality that's very very different than just coming to work every day. If you know what it feels like to not have those answers, it's almost impossible for someone to to try and 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 stop you from from doing everything you can to help an investigation, whether it makes sense business-wise, work-wise or anything else.
0: Love it. Yeah, I think I think you're right about that. What I'm hearing, Kristen, is that you guys are Going to be solving even more cases than you already currently are as time goes by. Already this week, as we record this, it's it's 11 a.m. East Coast on Wednesday. You've already announced four solves this week alone.
2: You know, it started with a few solves a year. I don't even know if we had more than a couple cases back in 2019. And then, you know, a few solves a month and then a few solves a week. And and now it's coming to a place where it's a few solves a day, at least what we're returning back and confirming to investigators. It takes some time for those to announce that way. And I really look forward to the day that it's a few solves an hour. I told you a second ago, I'm here to figure out how to get funding for this technology. And the truth is, funding is the limiting factor. We have built a laboratory that's able to scale and 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 work thousands of these cases at once and we have built a team of people both computational and scientists in the lab and people that are case managers helping law enforcement, every part of the process, and different tools that would really allow us to clear entire backlogs. I feel like as the funding starts to roll in, more and more and more of these cases will solve. And as law enforcement truly realizes that this technology is something that's reliable and robust, and they feel comfortable handing over their entire backlog of cases, more and more cases will start to solve. And I really believe that in the next few years, we're going to live in world where cold cases are a thing of the past there's not going to be any more cold cases and perpetrators are going to get caught the first time they commit a crime and not the second third fourth and fifth and hopefully when people realize that we only need 15 cells from 32 years ago or a tiny fragment from burnt remains or you know something that seems impossible before to identify the perpetrator Or identify the victim they're going to start thinking twice about actually committing these crimes and this technology will actually become a deterrent that's going to be the kind of world i really hope to live in one day
1: yeah and you had said that a big part of your mission and your goal is to bring answers to family members when they've been looking for answers for so long but your end of things when you're speaking about raising money for your facility where that money is going i just want to get your feelings on this part of it that actually helps current law enforcement and and in the future their budgets because they don't have to spend money on investigating these things anymore. We just had an interview with a person who was covering the death of Matrice Richardson. We were speaking about the $450,000 wrongful death payout that the police department gave to each parent. So Almost a million dollars that was paid out. And we had this conversation about where does that money come from? Is that like a line item in the budget for the police department for situations like this? If you're raising money for a lab that can help alleviate these cases where they don't have to spend a million dollars because... They were backlogged and they made a mistake along the way just due to human error. This also helps them in the long run. Law enforcement now has time to actually investigate things.
2: It truly is one of the last few issues that I feel has bipartisan support. It doesn't matter if you're on the defund the police or fund the police side of of this this sort of argument. Nobody wants perpetrators out there on the loose and nobody wants families missing their their loved one because they've been murdered somewhere and not found. And I think our technology, just like you said, there's several, several cases we have solved where over a million dollars was spent on just the investigation. I mean, these detective salaries for decades, the Little Miss Nobody case, I think is 62 years old. Um, Candy Rogers in Spokane is 62 years old. Just salaries of the people continuously working these cases and wrongful convictions, like you said, prosecuting people, trying to go through suspect after suspect after suspect. There are cases we worked where they were actively following over 100 different suspects over the decades. I mean, there is so much to be gained by bringing in DNA technology and getting that lead early on in an investigation and then being able to follow that. And yes, I think it'll be a cost savings for law enforcement. I mean, it costs you know, somewhere between five and seven and a half thousand dollars to solve one of these cases. And that's a drop in a bucket when it comes to investigative work. And it's quick. It happens in a short period of time. They can then take those leads and investigate the rest of the case. And I think when it becomes something that's happening, not only in cold cases, but also in current investigations, what, what will happen is we won't see cold cases form. There's so many cases we work worked that you will never read the story about because they never went cold. No one will ever talk about it It didn't take a long time. The CODIS test failed. Law enforcement already had a relationship with Othram. They knew how our technology worked. They reached out, helped solve the case almost immediately. And that family had answers before it even became a true crime story, right? And to me, that's super exciting. We have been super successful. We have had a lot of support at the federal government level. Right now, we're funded directly by the Department of Interior, the Department of Justice through the NIJ, and the Department of Defense. I think we're the only human ID company that is funded by all three agencies. I'm absolutely thrilled. They've called out forensic genetic genealogy in the criminal justice subcommittee report that went out for 2023 as technology that should be used when CODIS testing fails. They opened up more money that now is allowed to be used for this technology for 2023. It's going to come with educating law enforcement and letting them know that this is a type of DNA testing. This is a tool that they can actually go for when they don't have any other leads and CODIS testing leads to a no result.
0: We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor.
1: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call,
2: clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
0: And a thank you to our sponsors. Back to the program. Now 3 of the cases that you announced this week as solves came from the Benton County Sheriff's Office in Arkansas. Are you seeing that more often like a, like an entire sheriff's office will say okay let's give you what we got and then we'll announce them all together if if
2: we get any? Benton County Sheriff's Office, those were the first 3 cases they sent us. They decided to send 3 at once and and hope they they maybe would get one. Wow or two to solve.
1: So you have a perfect record with them.
2: Yes, and it's often the case. Um, Like I said, this QC process is really good at predicting. So we were able to solve, and they don't solve at the same time because obviously the matches are different, but we were able to solve them all relatively close to one another and so close that they couldn't do separate announcements. They couldn't get it all together after informing family. And so they decided they were going to do one announcement. That's probably a first for this field, for forensic genetic genealogy. It shows you that when people let you have a stack of cases. It doesn't matter where the evidence came from, what it was, how old it is, how it was treated. It's all got different conditions, but this technology truly can work for every different type of evidence input. And I think that's our strength here at Othram. Everyone thinks about the sequencer that's out there, this the most powerful sequencer on earth. And I've heard other people talk about it. You know, it's this machine and it gives you all the answers. And the truth is using the most powerful sequencer. Sequencer on earth allows us to take better pictures of the dna but you can't do any of that unless you're able to get dna and get it to a condition where you can actually look at just the perpetrator or the victim dna you can imagine most of this dna is chopped up into tiny, tiny fragments. It's contaminated with non-human DNA from bacteria, from animals found in the wilderness, wherever, if they were at the bottom of a lake or in a sewage tank from all of that. And it's also mixtures, mixtures between perpetrator and victim, difficult to work with. None of that would work on this machine unless all of the pre-processing was in place to actually be able to, to get that DNA to a place where you can get those pictures, get those markers, and actually be able to build one of these profiles that work in the database. I think that's the biggest misconception. People believe that genealogy, the uploading to the database, the profile, that's what's solving the case. Genealogy is extremely powerful. Going through those records and and being able to go through those matches is extremely difficult. It's an amazing tool, but you can't do the genealogy if you don't have a good DNA profile. And so cutting corners in the lab part of the process ends up giving you either no profile at all, no DNA that can be readable and and used, or it gives you a profile that has mixtures of things and it's so matchy to everything that you can work genealogy for years and never get anywhere because it's not a clean profile. And so it's not just about getting a profile you can upload to a database or finding some DNA letters. It's truly about building a profile that's going to allow you to get to an answer, identify someone in a short period of time. And I think that's what Othram is doing. I think that's why you're seeing us solve cases every single day. Forensic DNA is the exact opposite of medical DNA or consumer DNA. I don't know if either one of you has done Ancestry or 23andMe, that DNA test where you spit in the tube for a while and they tell you don't eat for 30 minutes to an hour before the test, that kind of DNA, or when you go to the doctor and and they draw blood, it's single source, it's fresh, it's completely clean and sterile, comes from a sterile environment. You have a lot more to play with when you're running your sequencing assays and whatever other genomic assays that you're running. But forensic DNA is the exact opposite. It's chopped into pieces, like I said, contaminated, degraded, destroyed. Pieces or regions of it are missing completely. So using these medical assays and these consumer assays to look at forensic DNA, it might work for a handful of cases. It might even work for a thousand cases, but there's 250,000 cold cases in the United States alone right now, 40,000 unidentified remains. That's just in our country. I promise you that most of those it will not work for. They're underwater if you think of an iceberg. You'll get those assays to work for a small fraction. And that's what you saw happening prior to Othram being built. You saw the cases that were at the top of that iceberg that were able to be run on these medical assays and these consumer assays. It's funny because most of us here at Othram have helped build those assays. I don't know if David told you when he was on a year and a half ago, but he was part of the first Human Genome Project, the Thousand Human Genome Project, and he actually helped the National Institute of Standards and Technology in the U.S. build the standards that the FDA uses today to make life or death decisions using this type of sequencing technology. And so we have all built this technology from the ground floor up. I've worked with DNA and actually David since 2001. That's when we met at Baylor College of Medicine. Our lab director was part of the first human genome project. We actually built a lot of those tests. We understand them. And that's why we really understand that those tests are the wrong tests to use for forensic evidence. If a doctor treated you with something that might or might not work, that would probably not be okay, right? When you treat a patient, you, you treat a patient because there's an expectation that you're helping them. In forensics, all of this time, a sample was thrown on an assay and it may or may not work. And most of the time it didn't. But unfortunately, forensic DNA is consumable and it's not renewable. You can't go back to the crime scene and get more perpetrator DNA. Unfortunately, that's all you have. And so when you're running it without knowing that you're actually going to bring value to the investigation, more often than not, you're consuming that DNA and destroying someone's last chance of getting justice for their loved one, someone's last chance of finding their loved one. And especially when budgets are so, so hard to come by, law enforcement doesn't know whether this technology works or doesn't yet, we lose trust from law enforcement and they don't want to run the DNA test on their next case because they only have so much money. And so why would they use it on a technology that hardly ever works? The money has already been used once or twice for this type of testing. So how can you get the government to give you another, you know, five to $7,000 to use it off because someone else is saying it's different testing. It becomes a really difficult thing. I honestly feel that at some point, these guardrails have to be put into place that people are not damaging or consuming DNA or budgets if they don't know that they're actually going to build one of these profiles and not just build a profile, but build a profile that's going to eventually yield matches that end up solving the case. And, you know, nothing is 100%. I'm a scientist, I'm the first one to tell you that. But just guessing that it may or may not work without understanding the properties of that DNA Is unacceptable. And time and time again, the biggest players in forensic genetic genealogy have gone publicly and said, the lab you use doesn't matter. Maybe this is controversial, but I'm here to tell you the lab you use really matters. (laughs) It matters so much because that's your one chance to get a profile and help identify and solve that case. And thinking that everyone can do this And thinking that a standard medical assay or a standard consumer assay where you can't even eat before you put something in the tube or it's completely sturally taken from your bloodstream is the same as a piece of evidence coming from a crime scene and should be treated the same in a lab is absolutely bananas. It's bananas and it needs to change. It's forensic malpractice and it's what's causing this technology to take longer to come to fruition. If Othram is the only place on earth that's that's sitting here with a QC process and not running cases every time we, we are not certain that we can actually bring value. But everyone else is, is getting all these federal dollars and willy-nilly running every case they get and hoping they get a result. Then at the end of the day, the federal results, those numbers of how many cases were solved and how many cases were run are not going to look the way they should. And they're not really going to be a true portrait of how powerful this technology is. And what that's going to do is it's going to cause the federal government to say, well, I, maybe this technology isn't so much better than what we were doing before. I don't even know if it's even a little better. I think that's something people need to truly sit back and think about.
0: We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Sick of being upsold at gyms? And a thank you to our sponsors. Back to the program. Now, I want to ask about Sharon Lee Gallegos. Can you take us through the journey that Little Miss Nobody went from DNA sample to uh, being identified uh, with the help of Author?
2: This was a case that had a lot of. Publicity behind it. I believe that a Las Vegas school teacher was hiking and found the remains of this little girl. I think July 31st, 1960 was the date that they found those remains. It was obviously a skeleton of a young child. It was thought to be between three and six years old at the time that anthropologists looked at the remains. There was no child missing in the area at the same time, so they couldn't figure out who she was. They did a lot of different analysis, a lot of different investigative work to try to look at footprints and match anything that they could match and and everything ended up being a dead end there was just no result as as to who little miss nobody was and so they named her little miss nobody like i told you the community got very involved in in burying her and taking care of her grave and and trying to honor her memory even though they really wanted to know who she was and how she ended up out there this investigation stayed open for 61 years they continued to work the case the entire time. In fact, the detectives had tried conventional DNA testing and and because she was a victim, she wasn't in the CODIS database, so that yielded no match. And then they even tried advanced DNA testing back in 2018. They, they got money when it was very new and tried to to do this type of technology. This story is actually a, a really good example of what can go wrong if you're not working with a lab that can get enough information. And so what happened is they got a profile, but the profile didn't have enough information. And then some computational work was done on the profile to get it to to be able to work in a database because it didn't have enough information to work in the database on its own. And that's called imputation. And when that happened, it ended up leading to the wrong answer. In fact, the investigator Had the, very early on, had the suspicion that it could be Sharon Gallegos because she was missing at the same time because she was the right stature. Just the time of when they found the remains made sense. The report stated over and over again to law enforcement that advanced DNA testing concluded the remains were not. Sharing Gallegos. That investigation remained cold. Michael Vogan, one of our case managers here at Othram, became friends with the detective working the case. And he said, give Othram a chance. And they said, look, we, we can't. Like, There's no more funding for advanced DNA testing. We tried it and it's not going to work. It didn't work. And we can't pay for that again. And so Michael offered to find funding for the case and to work the case, which is what we often do. We actually work with So many philanthropists across the country that have helped us fund these cases. So many advocates that contribute on DNA Solves, what it would cost to buy a cup of coffee that help us solve these cases, people that buy our hats or hoodies, (laughs) whatever. Everything here at Authram that we do, we do to try to solve cases. Every time you see me on an interview on TV, it's because they paid it forward and help pay for a case on DNA Solves or part of a case on DNA Solves. We try to use any means we can to try and fund these cases. And so we did. We were able to get enough money to fund the testing for Little Miss Nobody. And in fact, that case funded very quickly. It spoke to so many people that are funded in less than 24 hours, I believe. We proceeded with the testing. In this case, we didn't even need genealogy. Once we built the profile, the first thing we did was try to do a one-to-one comparison to make sure that um, it wasn't Sharon Gallegos because that's what the investigator thought, and it was a full match. And so we knew. That's when we gave back the investigator the lead. They spoke to family, and they were able to... Piece together the rest of of what had happened when she was taken out of her town right in front of her sibling. She was playing on the street and went missing and then was found 10 days later by the school teacher. I went to the press conference for Little Miss Nobody in Arizona myself. I got to meet, it was her nephew that was actually there. See, people think, well, this happened 62 years ago. Is there even family here that cares? And there's always family here that cares. The room was packed. There were a ton of people from the community that were affected by the case. There were a ton of law enforcement agents that worked the case for decades. Her nephew spoke on behalf of the family and he said that his entire life had been changed by this. He said that his mother was always afraid to let him go outside, to leave him alone and his siblings and that he lived a very different life. And he lived with the story of knowing what happened to his aunt every single day and wanting to get the answers but no answers were ever given and he was so grateful for the result and he spoke on behalf of his sister as well and said that they really needed this to figure out how to just move on and and also to know where their aunt is so that they can visit so that they can pay respects it's horrible to know that you've lost somebody in your family they're lost in time their story is gone with no ending. No one should have no ending to their story, no matter how sad that ending is.
1: Are you aware if they're going to change the headstone for Little Miss Nobody to reflect her actual name now?
2: They are. They're great. She's Little Miss Nobody no more. She is Sharon Gallegos and she deserves her name and she deserves to be known as that for sure. And it's a tragic end to a young kid's life. There is also a full investigation as to what happened. There are several leads. There was a woman that knocked on her mother's door and talked to her that had been following her sort of around the neighborhood for a couple of days before. Her siblings saw two children in the back of the car that took her away. And there was that same woman and a man in the car. There's now leads to this investigation that will potentially help actually identify who did this to her and what actually happened.
1: You said she's a little Miss Nobody No More and that I got chills. That was a brilliant
2: statement. She is. And every single name we get to bring back, the three names we got to bring back yesterday, you know, every story every every case has a story and every story has people out there that need those answers. It's incredible to have technology that can truly bring that back to people. I've worked in medicine my whole life. I've helped people my whole life. David has too, so has everyone else pretty much here on the science end. We've always been able to serve, but this is really different. This is not helping. This is truly allowing someone to move past an event that has sort of gotten them stuck in their life and has caused their life to to just sit there. The first family member I ever met was Carla Walker's brother, Jim Walker. She was the 17 year old cheerleader that was murdered after the Valentine's dance at her school, brutally raped and murdered. And Jim was 12 years old the day she went to that Valentine's day dance. He told me that they had gotten into a fight before she left and he had regretted it for his whole life. He lived in the same house for 46 years. He went to the culvert where the perpetrator had left her body hoping that the perpetrator would come back to relive that moment. He would sleep there all night long, hoping that would come back to relive that moment so that he could confront him. He spent his entire life in law enforcement trying to figure out what happened to his sister. And the day that I met him, he told me the number of days. He said 18,000, I don't remember, maybe 287 days. It it, It was a crazy number. He had counted the number of days he had waited to find the answer. To what happened to his sister when you see that in someone's eyes when you truly see the impact you have they tell you that now they can do something else with their life they can find purpose it does change you it permanently changes you and it makes you realize that you know we all have a duty we have a duty to do this right there's no amount of money that's worth consuming evidence There's no amount of notoriety that's worth consuming evidence frivolously. If you're solving one or two cases, but you're destroying evidence for 100 cases, you're not helping. You're not helping. And I'm here to just say it's time. It's time to move on and and re-strategize because it's unacceptable. And it's my job to interface with the government. And I am working diligently on making sure that just as every doctor has to put their statistics on their website, if you go to a cancer doctor, fertility doctor, or whatever, every forensics company that's doing this type of testing should have to put their statistics up there. How many cases did you run and how many of those Actually solved, not just oh, I solved these five cases.
1: Yeah, it's really kind of shocking that there isn't some sort of standards. What did you say, like guideline, guideposts? Yeah, guardrails is what
2: I said. I think guardrails,
1: guardrails. I could see them in my head. I couldn't figure out the word. <laughs>
2: I do I say guardrails um, absolutely needs to be put in place. And yes, this is new technology, the forensic process and forensic testing isn't new, it should be put in back within the forensic system. That's why Authram is an advanced genomics lab built in the forensic process. We have unidirectional flow. We have vestibules that you go and change into. Everyone's covered from head to toe. We've taken everything from advanced genomics and actually put it back in the forensic process with full chain of custody, being able to work everything in-house. All of those parameters shouldn't be thrown out the window because you have new technology. There is a very standard method and practice by which people have done forensic testing For decades. And it works. And it works amazing. It stands up in court. Why are we not asking for that every single time someone touches one of these pieces of evidence? I mean, that's someone's human remains. That's someone's body. That's someone's last chance to justice. This isn't, you know, something you should be experimenting on. Ever.
0: Is there anywhere that you'd like to direct our listeners? Is there anywhere that they can donate to help author along?
2: Absolutely. DNASolves.com. That's where we post our solves that announce. That's where we tell the stories of these victims. Honestly, I, I would encourage everyone to share these stories. People don't even know what's possible with technology today. Sharing the stories allow people to realize. We also put up there the cases that don't have funding from the different agencies that we're working on a few at a time. And So if anyone feels compelled, they can help fund one of those cases. I mean, even a dollar helps. Everything helps along the way. Every dollar given to a DNA Solves campaign is used for the testing reagents for that case. Never pays a single person's salary here at Othram or anything else that Othram does. It is 100% used to actually run the testing for that case. I think that's important to note. You can contribute your DNA to DNA Solves, which is our database only used for law enforcement use. And that helps us solve the next case. You never know if you're a fifth cousin or a fourth cousin to someone out there that we're trying to identify. And it's obviously not the the relatives that, that come to your Thanksgiving dinner, but we're all related in some way. And so your DNA can be helpful in these investigations. Also, if you're missing someone, absolutely put your DNA in that database. If you know someone's missing in your family, because when we build these profiles, it'll be an instant match. They'll call you right away. And none of that genealogy will have to be done. And it saves a ton of time in these investigations.
1: Cannot thank you enough for the work that you do, David, the entire team of heroes there at Othram. Um, We've been recording for about 51 minutes. So by that pace, I think you've solved like four or five during uh, this recording. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
2: We're trying. I think we got eight confirmations yesterday. So wow. I think like in a year, in a year, you guys will be getting eight announcements a day. And then I think, <laughs> you know, that's pretty cool. And there's a lot of cases that are in court or in trial or pending sentencing that, you know, you won't hear about Othram until later on, or you may never hear about Othram, but the actual value is there. These people are off the streets and they're where they belong. And there's justice exacted. And And I couldn't be a happier person
1: from our point of view we have been covering cold cases that have not had any resolution in years and decades and family members who are just tortured by that and trying to figure out how to live their life and it's so great to be on the wave of this new technology and to be affiliated with you folks because we get to talk about ones that are solved and talk about moments like you said this gentleman came up to you and he had spent his whole life he knew every single he knew the amount of days that he'd been looking into his sister's um, case and it's so amazing to be part of that tipping point where we're not going to exclusively talk about, uh it sucks that they can't figure out who this is or where they are or what happened and now we are figuring this out or you are and we will talk about that
2: it is a team effort and honestly doing what you do is probably the most helpful thing to me when i go back to government you guys telling these stories you guys helping uh, propagate the message is more valuable when speaking to the government than anything I'm doing inside this lab. We're great at DNA work. We can figure out how to work with this evidence, but we're not out there marketing our technology. We're not out there talking about it as much as we should. And you guys amplifying the message will make just as much of a difference. This is all of us trying to create a movement where we can live in a safer and more just world.